Hey, I'm so glad you're here. We are in week two of Love Thy Neighbor, talking about all things serving and loving uh, other people. And uh, right off the top, I got some breaking news. Breaking news, guys. There have been a few Guinness Book of World Record records broken this year. Did you know about this? Did you know people are doing these? Guinness Book of World Records. Anybody pay attention to that? No one cares. No one knows what's going on. But, but let me tell you about a few, okay? First off, uh, we got a guy that just uh, exceeded in the most chin-ups from a helicopter in one minute. Y'all, he did 36 in a minute off a helicopter uh, while it was going. Um, wish I had the true footage, but I'm just going to give you a little clip. Uh, most lit candles in the mouth is now 150, guys. <laughs> 150. I feel like some of y'all might be able to take that one on. Like, I don't know. I, that, that doesn't seem too far-fetched. Hold on. If I do that all night, that's going you know, to put the compressor on that bad boy. I'm sorry. Okay. Most objects juggled while on a unicycle is now seven. That doesn't seem, I mean, that seems hard, but not that hard, right? That doesn't seem like a world record. I don't know. I, I think someone could take that. Anybody able to do the unicycle, by the way? I can't. Um, do you remember last year when I like almost broke my arm? Never mind. Um, okay. Fastest time to burst 100 balloons with your feet. Uh, this, this gentleman here, 22.38 seconds. That's pretty good. What, what are you doing with your life? I mean, really. I don't, I don't know. Uh, oh, this one's good. Largest pizza. It's new, new record. Largest pizza. It's 13,957 square feet. Sponsored by Pizza Hut over there. So look at that. Oh, it's 1,200. I said, wait. No, yeah, that's meters and then the feet. We don't, we don't go by meters here, do we? Uh, yeah, and then uh, most drink cans uh, crushed by a hand in one minute. This, did, this guy did 108, just smashed it. You, you can go watch it. It's ridiculous. Um, why do we do the Guinness Book of World Records? Why is this a thing? What, like, there are good world records. There are like, like really like amazing ones, all of those, it's like really, like we're just making stuff up. Like, has anyone tried to hold their breath underwater while doing a hula hoop and then like, you know, cutting your toenails at the same time? I got the record, right? Like they're just making stuff up. And I think that the reason that we like the Guinness Book of World Records, and some of them are really interesting, the lady with the, you know, fingernails that hadn't cut them in 40 years and they just look weird, man. I don't know what she's doing, but it's like everybody in some way wants to be great, you know, like, like great at something. Like, like sports didn't work out for me. Uh, I, didn't, I didn't make the team. I didn't have like the PhD doctorate that I was going for. I'm just going to grow my fingernails out, and I'm going to be great at it. I'm going to be the best at having long fingernails. I don't know. Or I'm going to be the best at doing chin-ups from, has anyone done it from a helicopter? No. Okay, that's my new record. It's like people are making stuff up to just like get on the map. And I mean, it is fun. I kind of went in a rabbit hole. There's a whole lot more uh, records, but I just was thinking about this, and I was like, man, there is this thing in us that we want to be great at stuff. Like, no one wants to be mediocre. No one's just like, man, I hope I just, middle of the pack, don't stand out. No one notices anything I do. I hope I can get on Instagram and have zero followers. It's just like, we don't do that. We, like, we want people to join in. We want people to recognize this, and maybe not at a crazy degree, but there's, that's in us, right? Like, we want to be great, and that's okay. That's something. 
But Jesus's definition of greatness and the world's definition of greatness, they're very, very different. Jesus's idea of greatness is very different from the world. You know, in this world, it's about being the best or being the first or doing something better than everyone else. And Jesus is like, actually, the first will be last. And in my kingdom's economy, the last will be first. Be last. Anybody told you that? Like, be, like, get last place, man. It's awesome in the kingdom of God. And then, and, then, and then here's another one, right? Like find and achieve this level of success that's unmatched. Maybe just have all the fame or all the influence, all the power. And Jesus is like, actually, you know what's great in my kingdom? Be like a child. Be an adult that knows how to be like a child. That's greatness in the kingdom of God. So be last, be a child. Or, or um, finally, when Jesus says, I didn't come to be served, but to serve and give my life for many. The goat, according to Jesus, is the one who is servant or slave to all. In his kingdom, that's greatness to serve, to be the best at serving, to be the greatest at serving. And just as a side note, for those of you that are in relationships, this isn't a dating series, but my wife and I, we got married, like I said, like 20 years ago, and we have one competition. There's only one thing that we compete in, all right, because competition is not, not great for the relationship, I'll just tell you. Um, but we try to compete from day one. We said this like on day one that we're going to see throughout the years who could outserve who. I'm losing terribly. That's not breaking news uh, at all. But it is this attitude that we have where we want to serve one another. That's, that's love flowing out, right? Like that's how we walk out love is by serving one another. And so I want to talk about serving tonight, but I also want to just be honest. Like, I am not good at this. Like, based on the kingdom's greatness, I'm not great. In fact, like, I struggle to serve, right? Like, I kind of want to be served. I'm pretty selfish, I'm going to be honest. I like it to be about me. I like it when someone else serves me. I don't want to, like, you know, inconvenience myself with other people. Now, I would never admit that except on the stage in front of all of you. But, like, I know in my life I live that way sometimes. Like, it's my world. And I don't know how you're doing at like being a servant. And there are some of you, if I could just say, uh, especially some of you that serve on B team, but just watching you guys serve, um, just being out on the campus, handing out donuts on Tuesday. Um, I mean, there's so many things y'all do to get everything set up. And it's amazing. I'm, I'm so blessed to see this heart here uh, of people serving. But I don't know how you're doing, but I've been struggling. And a few things that I think are our, my main barriers, and, and it's going to set set it up. But my, my first main barrier is definitely selfishness. I'm just selfish, which makes it really hard to serve when you don't want to. You know, let's just be honest. I don't feel like it. So it's hard to serve when I don't want to serve. Okay. It's just me, I guess. Uh, y'all are like, mm, judged. Like he's our pastor and he doesn't want to serve anymore. Okay. But the second one is this, and I mentioned this last week, but it really is a thing for me. Hurry. Hurry is an enemy to serving people and really to loving people. In fact, in 1 Corinthians 13, Paul says, love is, anybody know the first one? Patient. First one. Have you ever thought about that? How interesting it is that the first descriptor of love is patience. And so the famous Dallas Willard quote, he says that hurry and love are incompatible. You cannot love someone in a hurry. You can't be in a hurry. Hurry up, like, let's have a relationship. Let's, let's hang out. Let's force this. And, and so for me, I'm in a hurry a lot. I'm like the guy that's like heading up to the, the red light and I'm, I'm assessing which cars are in which lane because I just don't want them to be in my way. And I'm like, you know, 
lane changing just to like be one car closer to the red, right? Like no, none of y'all do that. I'm, I'm, I'm checking out like at Walmart, looking at all those silly checkout lines, watching people, seeing what's in their cart, like get me out of this Walmart as soon as possible. But I'm just kind of like always in a hurry. I want to shave off that five seconds. Like, let's, let's be honest, like that's what you're doing. Anybody else like this? Is it just me? I feel a little alone up here. I feel like you guys are just judging me. Okay, maybe someone else is like that. But for me, I'm in a hurry and there's no reason for it, quite honestly. We live in Wichita Falls. Everybody calm down, right? What's happening here? Like, what are you trying to get to? I mean, like nothing's happening. Like, just hang out, like enjoy life, right? But I'm in a hurry. And then if I'm going to be honest, I think my third barrier, and this isn't like scriptural. I was just like seriously like writing out here. What are my barriers to loving and serving people? Uh, selfishness, big one, pride, all about me. The second one is hurry. But the third one is, do you ever just feel like I don't have it to give? Like I just like another person to love and I've got a lot of people in my life. I'm trying to keep up with family members, my own children, my wife, uh, friends and stuff. But it's just like, I don't know you and I don't, I don't know if I have it in me today. And so sometimes for me, I feel that way. I'm like, I just, I don't know that I have the serve thing to give right now. I feel like I've kind of already done it. It just feels burdensome. Anybody ever just feel like that? You don't have to raise your hand, but just that like, man, I know I'm supposed to love, like love God, love people. I'm supposed to serve. The greatest is the servant. But it just feels like a burden to serve the people around me, especially people I don't know, especially people um, that I just come in contact with. We kind of talk great, you know, uh, the Good Samaritan. It's not just loving our friends and the people close to us, it's loving anyone. And that feels kind of like a burden. And I've been thinking about that and the Lord led me to this text and I think it's the key to loving people well. And so if you've got a Bible, I want you to turn to 1 John 4. 1 John 4. Thank you. Uh, first John, just remember, uh, if you're not familiar with scriptures, there's like four Johns. Uh, so this is the John in the back of the Bible. Uh, John, the gospel is kind of up near Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. This is first John. It has a one in front of it, and it's right before Revelation. We have three letters from the beloved disciple John. And, uh, and honestly, I think we've kind of been in this text a few times in the last couple weeks. I was thinking, man, it, it'd be cool just to walk through this book of the Bible. It's so good. Um, I'm also thinking we might do a book of the Bible in January as well. I don't know yet. Um, just to kind of walk through it. But there's so much good stuff here. And, and John talks so much about love. First John, it's an easy read. If you're like, I don't know what to read in scripture right now. Like First John, all right? There are five chapters in First John. So like just, you know, the next five days, just read a chapter. And, and there's so much in there. And we're going to stick to John, or First John 4. And I believe there's a key here to how we actually live out and love well. And um, I'm just going to read it. Here it is. It says this, beloved, let us love one another. It's like this command. Hey, like, let's love each other. For love is from God and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. There it is. You've heard that. God is love. Verse 9 in this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. And in this is love, not that we've loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be a propitiation for our sins, to be a payment for our sins. Right off the bat, let me give you the main idea of the whole night. The key to loving people is a love that is born out of knowing God. The key 
to loving people is having a love that is born out of knowing him. Here's what he says. He says, whoever loves has been born of God and what knows him. And so the reason for me that sometimes love is a burden for me and sometimes it feels a little overwhelming is that I'm not doing it from a place of love. I'm doing it from a place of duty. Oh, I'm supposed to love you. I guess I'll love you. And that's lifeless religion, which our church, we are passionate about helping get people out of this duty and this lifeless religion of checking boxes to a passionate pursuit of Jesus. That's relationship. In fact, in 1 Corinthians 13, it says, if I speak in the tongues of men and angels but have not love, I'm a noisy gong and a clanging cymbal. If I have prophetic powers and I understand all mysteries and all knowledge, I have all this knowledge. And if I have faith that can move mountains but I don't have love, I'm nothing. If I give it all away and I deliver my body up to be burned but have not love, I've gained nothing. Love is under all of this. It's the only way that we sustain what God has called us to do. And I brought these balloons for this reason because I wanted to, I wanted to show you this. So what I feel like sometimes we do is we know some of the stuff we need to do. Like I need to like be a good person. I need to love people. I need to serve, check. We talked about that last week. I need to like be about people's ultimate good. And so what we have in religion is we have these plates spinning. I'm gonna use a balloon to, to give examples. And so like I'm trying to like love people. But the problem with it is that as I do it, right, like stuff happens and I drop a balloon. You're gonna have to help me with that one. That one really got away from me. And maybe there's, I'm trying not to sin. I'm trying to like not be in temptation. And so I'm doing good for a minute, but then I get tempted again. And then I'm still supposed to serve and I need to read my Bible more and I need to pray. And it's like what we do that I have this checklist of stuff. Like I'm supposed to like have a Devo for 15 minutes. Let me hold that one up. Let me hold this one up. And it's really exhausting because what that is, is that's you checking a box, trying to do the right things and be a great person and, 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 and be near God. And there could be great motive behind it. But the difference is with this balloon, I don't have to keep this balloon up. It has something different in it. It isn't just puffed up air. It's got helium, right? We're gonna call that the power of the spirit. All right, we're gonna get spiritual here. But what this is, is this represents a life that is transformed by the love of the gospel, the love of God, the good news of Jesus, that I don't have to earn my way into anything that because I have relationship with God, he is the one who pulls this stuff out of me. I don't, I don't have to do a Devo so that I'm good with God. I get to do a Devo because I want to meet with him and I want to know him. And I serve people because I've learned that Jesus served me like no one could. And if there's anyone that deserves me to serve, it's God. And God's the one sitting there wiping and washing my feet. I mean, it's crazy that the last thing Jesus did before he would go die on a cross, and by the way, right before it, they're all arguing about who's the greatest and who gets to be on his right and left. And what does Jesus do? His last act before he would die for all of us is to sit down his disciples and wash their feet. And here we are just clamoring for stuff. And what I want tonight is not to talk about the ins and outs of like, here's how we serve people. Here's how we love people, everyone. You guys do a better job of this at your campuses, at your work. Will you love your, your coworkers more 
Man, that's just lifting up balloons. The thing that God gave me today was that the key to loving people is a love born out of knowing God that I feel like we've got to understand and see and know the beauty of the gospel again because it's the fuel behind everything we do. And so I wanna spend some time here. And as I look at this text, there's a few other things that come out. Um, When he says, love one another for love is from God, that we are to love from the love that he's already given us. We're to love from what he has provided. And then it says, whoever loves has been born of God and knows God, that our love for others is actually what reveals our intimacy with God. The greatest commandment, love God, love others, right? Love people. Jesus has asked for one command, he gives two. Why? Because you don't separate it. You cannot tell me you love God and you hate his people and his creation and his kids. You tell me you love me and you hate my kids, I'm like, no, you don't. You don't love me. We got a different relationship here. And so the way that we act out our love of God, our devotion to God is through relationships and they have to be marked by love. Now, I looked at this and read this and I was like, wait a second, people, it says that anyone who does not love doesn't know God. I'm like, wait a second. Like there are people that don't know God that love, right? Like y'all know people that are loving that may not have a relationship with God. So I'm like, what does he, what does he mean? Like it looks like kind of judgy. Like if they don't know how to love, man, they don't know God. And I'm like looking at that and I'm asking this question, wait, don't people like that don't know God, they still are loving humans. And I do want to, like I said this a little bit last week, but before I go any further, real fast, let's, let's define love because there's multiple words for love in the Greek. We only have one word, right? So we use love for whatever. I love ice cream. I love cake. I love uh, the Astros. You know, what can I say? All the hate. Uh, I love you guys. I love my wife. I love my kids. And I love Reese's. And I, I love pancakes. Blueberry, to be exact. Love blueberry pancakes. Okay, I just use love on a lot of things, right? I said love, I meant a lot of different stuff. So we have eros love, right, that in the Greek, that's the romantic, what we think of generally of love. It's romantic, it's sexual in nature, it's attraction, it's intimacy in that way. That's a love between husband, wife, between a couple. Um, it's romantic love. There's Philios, love, which is brotherly love, Philadelphia, that, that idea, and it's familial, like the way I love my family, my brother, um, the love that we have is a different love than the love me and my wife have, and it's a different love with my brother than it is maybe for some of y'all that I don't know that well, but I can still love y'all, but it's different. He's my brother. But the word used here, and many of y'all know this word, the word used in this text for love is agape, and it's very important that you know that. Because it's a love that is only accomplished through God. And here's why. God's the only one that shows agape love. He's the only one that initiates it. I'm going to get to that more. But agape love is not natural to any one of us. We don't naturally do this and we don't do this. That's why his point is the only ones that live out agape love are the ones that know God and know what agape love is. Agape love is self-sacrificing love towards someone who doesn't deserve it. It's not merited or earned. So like, you haven't earned my love, and yet I sacrificially give of myself because I've chosen to love you, place my affections on you. You know, last week we said love is 
what, what, what we defined is to love someone is to be genuinely invested in someone's good. And isn't God the one who really took that to the, you know, maxed it out times 10? Like, everything that he did so that you and I would know him and have relationship. And that's what this text continues to say. And this is love, that God was made manifested to us, that God sent his only son in the world that we might live through him. And so tonight, I just wanna spend the rest of the time and I feel like there's, I'm completely powerless in, in any way to do this tonight. So I, um, but what I want is for you to feel and resonate and connect to a God who loves you. Because many of you are familiar with the idea that Jesus loves you. Many of you sang the song when you were a kid, Jesus loves me, this I know for the Bible. It's like, this is the most cliche. We have like t-shirts that say this. Like, we know Jesus loves us. And yet, my fear is that the reason that we struggle, the reason we have the anxieties we do, the reason we struggle to love people or to even get into God's word is a love problem. Because we don't see his beauty. We don't know his glory. We're not, we don't know that part of him. Or at least we forget real easily. And so just where you're at, I'm just going to ask you to pray. I just want to invite the spirit in this moment while we talk about the love of God. We need his help in this. Um, Lord, you've said in your word that anyone who loves has been born of you and knows you. Because you are love. And God, you have manifested your love. You have shown it uh, through Christ. And I pray tonight that you would break through the familiarity of words and information and you would stir something in our hearts that we would grasp, that we would see. It's like what Moses prayed, God, could we get a glimpse of your glory, of your beauty, not just to know it in our heads, but God, would we see it tonight? Would we see you? for how beautiful and how good and how gracious and how merciful and how loving you actually are, would you move that, Lord, from our heads into our hearts tonight? Would you come and move tonight and convince us? Some of us in here are struggling to really believe that you love us. Some of us in here, we feel like you should love us. Some of us in here, we know that you love us and it is numb. It doesn't even move us that the God of the universe would love us. So God, whatever the spectrum, like whatever is going on in the hearts in this room, Lord, I pray that you'd meet us in this moment and that you would be the fuel to the things that we do. Help us, I ask in Jesus' name, amen. So our love for others reveals our intimacy with God. And um, as I look at this text, I just wanna point out four things about the love of God tonight and then we're gonna move on. Because I think we just need some time extended in his presence thinking about some of the truth that we know. I don't think we need more information. A lot of times we're like, oh, Jesus loves me. That's the thing you learn early, and then we move on to like deeper truths. It's like, no, no, no. No, no, no. Salvation happens, the gospel happens, and it's a diving board into the pool, but the pool is the love of God. The pool's not the diving board. The gospel's that his love is available to you to any of you who want it. That's the diving board. But we jump into a pool of his love that has such depth. We don't need more information. We need to go deeper into what we already know. And so that's what I wanna do tonight. So he says in verse nine, I wanna notice this. He says that in this, the love of God was made manifest. First, I need you to see that God's love is actually visible. It's not just theory. It's not just words on a paper that there is a visual aspect to the love of God. 
And what that visual aspect is, what he made manifest is gonna say is his son. What we see is a literal love of God in the cross. And if you ever needed proof that God is for you, because sometimes we have this sneaking suspicion that maybe like God's not for me. Maybe God opposes me. Man, I kind of feel like the victim here. I feel like God is not for me and God doesn't want me to be happy and God doesn't want my life. And if there's any overwhelming evidence that God is for you, it's right there in the cross. What, ev- what more evidence could you have that the cross is here so that you might live? That's what the verse says, that he gave his son so that you might live. It's a visual Love, look at this, see this. It's displayed in Jesus. Number two, that God's love is first. Here's what I mean. His love is first. He initiates it. Verse 10, what does it say? In this is love, not that we've loved God, but that he loved us and he sent his son. We weren't even asking for a savior at this point. No one was, and he sent him. God is the one who initiates relationship with you. He steps towards you and I. His love is first. The only reason that you and I could love God at all, that we would have any chance at loving him, is because he first loved you. He stepped towards you and invited you in. He's the God that leaves the 99 to go after the one. He's the father who's waiting for the prodigal son to come out. He is the initiator of love. Romans 5 eight, God demonstrates his love. He shows it, he expresses it in this truth that while you were a sinner, Christ died for you. He loves us first, which means that his love for you is not based on you. It's not based on your worthiness. It's not based on what you've done or haven't done. His love is just a love for you. And I love this verse. It's, a, it's an obscure verse in Deuteronomy 7. But check this out, Deuteronomy 7 it says this, and he's talking about the, the nation of Israel, that God, that he chose to be his own possession. It's, it's, it's a word for us too. Um, but here's what he says. It's not because you were in many, or it's not because you were more in number than all the other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you because you were the fewest of all people. Rather, the Lord loves you because the Lord loves you. The Lord loves you because the Lord loves you. It wasn't because you did something, because you earned something, because you were a big group or because you had an awesome heart and you were cooler than everyone. Like God loves you because he just chose and initiated his love on you. Ephesians 2, 4 through 5. Let's let this sink in. But God, rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, that's our sin, even when we were spiritually dead before him, lifeless, he made us alive together with Christ and it's by grace that is unmerited gift, that's a gift, is by grace you can be saved. You, not us, you, your name, Sometimes we, we think about the gospel as it's for a bunch of people. It's for, it's for you. He chose you. To be loved and not known, it's comforting, but it's superficial, right? Like if you're like, man, I love you. You're awesome. And I'm like, I don't actually know you. I met you tonight. So if I like met you tonight and you're like, man, I love you. It's like, cool. You love something about me. You're like, great. I'm glad that like you're kind, but it's superficial, right? Because you don't, you don't actually know me. You don't have much to like go off of in love. 
to be known and not loved, that's our greatest fear, right? That's the greatest fear, that if you did know me, if you did know who I was, if you did know what I've, I've done and what I've thought and things, mistakes that I've made, if you knew that, there's no way you would love me. And yet, what we are saying tonight about the love of God is this, that there's no one that knows you better. There's no one that knows your thoughts, knows what you've done more than God, and it's him in that reality saying, I still want you. I love you. I want you to be mine. Fully known and still chosen. I mean, that's agape, love. The third thing that I want you to see is it says that God sent his only son in the world. God's love is expensive. Yes, it's a free gift to you, but I need you to catch what it took for you to have a relationship with God. What it took for you to be saved, to have life, to be forgiven, wasn't just a gift. And it wasn't just his son. It was his only son. Think about how incredible of a cost that is to God, that the only way that he could win you in, bring you in, redeem you from your sin, and to get you to walk out of that and find life in him was for he himself to step off of his throne. Because it's only through the blood that there's forgiveness. But God has no blood. God doesn't die. So he becomes man in Christ. God incarnate in Jesus, and he steps from his throne, and he lives the life you and I can't live. And we know this, we're familiar with this, but I need you to catch this. And then he just sacrifices himself. The word, the logos, the word that was with God, the word that was God, the firstborn over all creation, the image of the invisible God slain for you so that you could have life. There's no, there's no gift that tops this. There's nothing you could get better than this. This is it. I'll never forget, I was um, in Athens, Texas, East Texas. Y'all don't even know where this is. Um, near Tyler and uh, helping lead worship. And there was this older man in our church and he like loved collecting guitars, y'all. And I'm telling you, he had a, he had a 52 P bass, like uh, a Fender, uh, you don't know what that is. It was insured for $75,000. It was nice, vintage, rare. I think there's only a hundred of them made. He had all these guitars. Some of them were like really nice. Some of them were okay. And he came to the church one day and he brings me his 73 Les Paul. I mean, legit. It's like, I mean, faded. It's kept nice. It's like a solid block of wood. That's how they made them back in the day. This ain't like cheap China. Like this is, this is the real deal. It's probably about a $5,000 guitar. I don't know, but it was nice, right? Not just that it was nice, but it was one of his favorite guitars. And he brings it to me. He's like, man, I would, I'd be honored if you'd play it like at church. And I'm like, I'd be honored to play. You know, I'm like, yes, please. Uh, like this is way better than the first act guitar I got at Walmart, you know, um, I had a little bit better guitar, but it was not that good. And so he gives me this amazing guitar. And I mean, dude, I strum that thing. I'm like, oh my gosh. Like they don't make stuff like they used to, y'all. Any, any of y'all that are in music, like you know what I'm talking about. The rest of you are just like, whatever. Um, so I'm playing it and I'm loving it. Well, one day he's like, I, I need it back. And I'm like, oh, okay, back to the other guitar. So I'm kind of bummed. What I didn't know is he took it home because he wanted to um, fix it, put brand new strings on it, polish it, 
And he comes back the next day with it and he gives it back to me, except this time he's like, hey, um, I want you to have this. Like, that's yours. And I'm like, like I'm, I'm, you know, like, I'm like, no, I don't, like, I, I'm happy to play it, but I, I could never do that. He's like, don't offend me. I want, I want you to have this guitar. And the guitar means so much to me, not just because it's another expensive guitar. I've got a couple expensive guitars. They don't have the same value to me that this one did. And the reason that this guitar had value to me is because I know what it meant to Duke. That was his name. I know what it meant to him. It was, it was a treasure for him and he was glad to give it. But man, there's been some times in my life where finances are tough. I'm like, I sure could sell that. There's no way. I'll never sell that guitar. I'll never trade it to anyone. I'll never give it to anyone because Duke gave that to me. Think about what God gave you. Like he didn't just forgive you. He didn't just say like, hey, I want you to be in my family. He sacrificed his son. And I don't think this resonates with us. And so the only thing I know to do right now, I, I, want you to, I know this isn't like the Passion of the Christ isn't actually, it's not like they had film back in Jesus' day and someone took a picture of Jesus. It's not accurate in terms of like, that's Jesus. But it's very accurate historically. And I want you to put this picture up and I want us to see something. Because God's love is visible. And yeah, I would imagine Jesus looked something similar to this. And I want you to see the gift that the Almighty God has done for you. I want you to experience this. So just look at this and let me read Isaiah 53 over us. This is what it says about Jesus. He was despised and rejected. He was a man of sorrows acquainted with deepest grief. And we turned our backs on him. We looked the other way. He was despised and we did not care. Yet in our weakness, he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. And we thought his troubles were punishment from God, that they were a punishment of his own. But no, he was pierced for your rebellion. He was crushed for my sin. He was beaten so that I could be made whole. He was whipped so that I could be healed. All of us, like sheep, we have strayed. We have left God's path to follow our own, yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. He was oppressed, he was treated harshly, yet he never said a word. He was led like a lamb, the king of all kings, the lion of Judah, led like a lamb to the slaughter, silent before his shears, and did not open his mouth. Do we understand what it cost the Lord to love us? Agape love is sacrificing, giving. It's towards an object. It's not for something. It's towards something. Love has an object of affection, and you are that object. And finally, God's love saves. He gave his son so that you and I might be, might be alive, that we might know him. He gave him as a propitiation for our sins. That is redeeming language. He redeemed us from our sin. He paid it all. What manner of love that you and I would be called 
children of God? Does it even register to us how much God loves you? I think sometimes we're like, okay, I'm his son now, I've accepted him, but the father that I got in my head, the God that I have in my head is this God that's still kind of disappointed in me, that's still upset with me and, and can't believe I can't get my act together and he's up there just crossed arm looking at me upset. Or he's the God that's just kind of distant, he's got bigger fish to fry, he, he, he kind of like is in and out, but I don't feel like he's near me or paying attention to me. Or that he's the God just on the edge of his sea waiting for you to mess up. I don't know how you picture him. A lot of times our earthly fathers um, take away from the idea of a real father, God the perfect father. And so we have a hard time accepting him and seeing him as a father. And so in closing, I, I really wanted to bring my little daughter Grace up here. I don't know if y'all have met Grace. It's past her bedtime, guys. Um, so I couldn't bring her tonight. But I'm just going to put a picture up. We're going to settle for this. This is Grace. Uh, she's eight. She's my third daughter. My wife and I didn't need a third daughter. I should tell you. We didn't need any of them. In fact, man, being married without kids, I'm just going to give you all this for free. It is the best. All right, man, I, I don't even remember what that was like. She uh, keeps us up a lot. She gets hurt a lot, I'm not gonna lie. She's the accident prone one. Um, she breaks some of my stuff, it's okay. But she keeps us up. She's pretty expensive, I'm not gonna lie. Uh, kids are expensive, if you didn't know that. Uh, she interrupts me a lot, she needs my attention a lot, and um, I love it. I love it. Doesn't bother me at all. I mean, there's moments where I'm like, okay, go away from it. I welcome it. Last night, she came and hugged me three times before she went to bed. I know she was just stalling, but I'm like, I'll take another hug, you know? Like, I want it. I love Grace. I don't love the future version of her. I'm not like, well, I love you once you're like, get a little older and you get your act together. I loved her from day one, y'all. I don't love her just when she's good, when it's convenient. There's nothing convenient about kids. But I wouldn't have it any other way. That smile, coming home to that every day, it never gets old. Grace is my daughter, and she always has a seat at my table. She's always going to have a bedroom. I don't care if she's 30. Some of y'all are like, yeah, I'm glad my parents treat me that way too. I don't know. She's always going to have a place. She's always going to be my little girl. She's never going to have to worry about losing that. She gets all my stuff. She takes all the spots, even the garage, right? Like I'm like, I'm walking in there and I'm like, okay, more toys, even in my garage. Like she took that over. She took over the backyard. She took over our room. She comes in the bathroom. I'm like, can I just have three seconds? She's like, Dad. I'm like, hold on. We got to talk boundaries, right? She doesn't care. She just wants to be with me. She gets all my things, but that's not the gift. It's not the gift to just be in our house, have a seat at the table, 
having eat, like most of the stuff she wants that we get her. That's not the gift. The gift has always been the relationship. It's always been the us. You see, Grace doesn't have to perform for my love, but she likes to perform. She likes it when I watch her. She wrote me a note the other night. I forgot it. Way to go, Stephen. Uh, so I told my wife, I'm like, hey, can you text me that note? So she just texted me, threw it in the computer right before this. She drew me this little heart. So that's her drawing. And he opened it up. She likes mom more than me. I don't take it personally, but here's what it says. You go to the next one, Jay. I love you, mom. You make me happy and you make my day and I will never not love you. Dad, I love your joy. That's, I love your joy that's in your heart. You are so amazing. I love you both. Mom, dad, guess what? You're my favorite Rachel and Stephen in the world from Grace. Like she doesn't write that note to me so that I'll love her. She writes that note to me because she's loved. We brought her in. We loved her from day one. And she loves being my daughter. And I think some of you, you need to understand the love of God. And I'm not even a great dad. God is perfect. And I'll sit down by uh, Grace's bed, not tonight, she'll already be asleep, but I'll sit down beside her bed. And every night I tell her the same three things. I tell her, I love you. I love you because you're you. I want you and I'm proud of you. I love you, I wanna be with you, and I'm proud of you. She doesn't need to be told that because she doesn't know it, I tell her all the time. But she never gets tired of hearing it. It never grows old. And tonight I'm wondering for some of you that know that Jesus loves you and you know the information that maybe you could just receive something tonight from God. That God tonight wants to remind you, his child, that he loves you, that he wants you, that he's proud of who you are because he created you. That God loves you, that he wants you, that he's proud of you. That God loves you and he wants you, and he's proud of you. That God loves you. That he loves you, and he wants you, and he's proud of you. And when we know that, and when we see that, and we feel that, and we sense that, it's the fuel that changes everything. It's the reason why I can love other people, like Grace writing me a note. It's, it, it just comes out. It transforms me. I'm freed from trying to perform for anyone. I've got everything I need in Christ. I can be free to live for other people. I'm secure. So I don't need to pursue things to make me secure. I am. And let's think about the truth and the reality that God loves us, that he's calling us closer, and that he's proud of us. Thank you.